This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Often it seems that uh, on this platform in Ormskirk, you like to do, or we like to do, character studies on Bible characters. <clears throat> I've done them before, and this is another one in this series. And how oh, you normally do a character? Yes, you, you look at what we know about the, the people, what the Bible tells us. Normally only a very small portion of their lives, of course and see what they said and what they did and how they reacted to the people around us, around them. And, and you can sort of compare it with our own experience and what we perhaps do in those circumstances. And you can try and build up a sort of picture of what sort of people they were. And then, of course, bearing in mind that all God's words have been told us for a purpose, you can try and draw what lessons we can gain from that. But Adam and Eve doesn't really work like that. You can't do a sort of all these characters in the same way because it's all a bit different. They they don't live in the sort of world in which we live or nothing like it they didn't have the interactions with other people they weren't part of society they weren't like us or perhaps they were I'll come back to that but I notice actually in, in this series of character studies it alms Kirk. We are doing some pretty big and major characters. People whose main significance is more the part they played in God's purpose than anything about their individual personalities. And throughout the whole of Scripture, I think Adam and Eve are perhaps the most significant people apart from just the one we've also dealt with in this series just a couple of weeks ago and that of course is Jesus so what can we learn now <clears throat> many of you um, have probably been told or you might even have the understanding yourself that Adam and Eve, well, well, that's just a fairy tale. That's not what happened. We, we, that's not the origin of man. What, what we know is that uh, <clears throat> um, man evolved from ape men who themselves evolved from um, other sort of furry four-legged creatures. We can sort of dig up their fossils and find them in the rocks and in the caves and so on and so on back to a little bit of living jelly. 
Now, I don't want to get heavily involved in the science of all this. I know there are, there are things out there, things you can dig up, things you can find, things... And you might try and bring an explanation to them. And we have a, there'll be other talks that deal with all those sort of questions and all that sort of science. What I want you to do is look at yourself. Look at the people around you, the world you see. Think of your mind, your awareness, your sense of beauty your sense of right and wrong, your struggles, fears and joys. And ask yourself, which is the story that best explains what you see? That we are a pile of chemicals this has just slowly got a bit more complicated or the story we're about to hear and ask yourself which is the more useful in your lives so Adam The names in the Bible often have some sort of meaning to them. And sometimes there's some significance in that meaning. <clears throat> but sometimes it was just, just the whim or the feelings of their parents at the time of their birth. But with Adam, that is certainly much more. The meaning is important. Think back through that reading we've just had. When did the name Adam first occur? Reading from the, the authorised version of the Bible, or, or perhaps from the New King James Version, like I've got here, it's in verse 19. And whatever... Oh, yeah, here we go. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. But if you were to be reading from, say, the English Standard Version or the New International Version, it doesn't come up until verse 20. Got the ESV one here. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. But if you were to read from this 19th century revised version, or the RSV, or the Good News Bible, you get all the way through that reading without reading Adam at all. And get all the way through chapter 3 until verse 17 in the RSV, or even verse 20 in the Good News Bible, before you get to the name Adam. So, 
what do all these versions have instead where where the others have Adam what they say is the man because that is what Adam means man Adam and in fact all the way back through the reading when it says the man it's the same word Adam and it's, it's almost kind of arbitrary where the different translations have decided to stop translating it as the man and call it the name Adam there are I suppose two two Hebrew words that mean man and the other one we have in this reading as well that's in verse verse 23 and Adam said now is this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and a lot of you might well have a sort of translator's note in your margin which says woman is isha and the word man is ish <clears throat> so there was these two words for, for man ish and adam and they're both used throughout scripture Ish is used where it is a clearly a male man. It might be an actual individual, and you can know, is he a man, is it a man, or if it's a man, the Hebrew word is ish. Throughout the rest of the scripture, the word, the word Adam is used where it's non-specific. It could be man or woman. It's the word for mankind, for person for the human species and so of course at this time Adam and Eve were the whole of mankind and to an extent for all time they represent the whole of mankind So, if we go to the Genesis narrative, the story we have. And in the first chapter of Genesis, I'm, I'm sure most of you are fairly familiar, you remember the, the story of the creation. Where over these six days, God, first of all, he seems to sort of set up the world. He divides night from day, or divides the light from the darkness to create night and day he divides the waters above from the waters below creating the sea and the sky and then he divides the waters from the land and then having created these environments he fills them he fills the night and day with the heavenly bodies he fills the sea and the sky with fish and the birds and he fills the land with the beasts and then finally, 
on that sixth day he creates man chapter 1 verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them So we're told that the man was created in the image of God. There's been a lot of debate about what, what that means. Or if you think in terms of a physical form, well, well, so much of our form is tied up with how we live in this world. Our legs are straight and thick because they need to carry our weight in gravity. Our torso is like a box of organs that deal with the processing of food and the food we eat and the air we breathe would God who fills everywhere and is beyond this world have the same sort of physical form or some people have supposed that it's referring to God manifested in angels Or there again, maybe it's some other aspect of God. God seems so very different to us, so much higher, so much beyond us, that we can't hardly think that we are anything like him. We are in his image, but perhaps in a small way, in our Awareness, in our purpose, in our creativity, in our moral sense. We're just a dim, a dim image of God, but we are like him at an image of God. I'm not sure I have a definite answer to what this means, but that I suppose is my is my feeling. And so, and so on the last day, man is created, and then it goes on at the beginning of chapter two to describe how once all was done, it was all very good, and God rested. And then when we get to the bit we passage we read just now, it's as if the narrative takes a step back. <clears throat> we looked at the whole of creation and we've looked at man's place within that. Now it's a bit of a recap over the creation of man. Going in looking at it much more closely, in more detail, in more intimate detail. We're told that God made man out of the dust of the ground. 
And then he breathed life into him, making her living spirit. So, Adam, and we too, are made of the, the ordinary stuff of the universe around us, the ordinary physical stuff. But then we too have something living within us. It is the um, from which we which we rely on from God, that living spark. And then and then Adam is placed in the, the Garden of Eden. A term that is familiar to most people, a, a term about describing paradise, of the perfect place. It was watered by four rivers. It had trees that were good for sight and good for food. And it was a rich and bountiful place where God placed man. And then we told it God decided that Adam was alone. And he said he was not good for Adam to be alone. And we can sort of understand it because we are social creatures. It, none of us like to be permanently alone. And there were lots of other creatures that God had made. And he too had a relationship with Adam, but Adam needed somebody on his own level. And so God created woman. Or, as I see it, he took this creature in the image of God, neither male or female, And divided him in two, taking a part of one to make the other. And so now, mankind becomes man and woman, Ish and Isha. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, evolutionary, or evolutionary biologists, they have a big problem with sexual reproduction. How, they ask, how can a system that, when, when, when genes being able to reproduce and pass on to the next generation is supposed to be so much the be-all and end-all of existence and what drives the way we are. How is a system that is so time-consuming and, and wasteful and at times potentially dangerous, how did that ever get started? They might say, oh, well, all the, mix, the mix, mixing of the genes, well, that, that helps the evolution go faster. 
Yeah, but it's got to evolve in the first place, guys. And that's a big problem. But I think what this is, is telling us is that sex isn't really about reproduction. That's, that's kind of a, a bonus. It's added on. I think, I think the Catholic Church have got this wrong as well. It's about union. God has divided the two and then he's they are bringing them together. And so much of God's creation, that seems to be about a dividing, dividing the light and the darkness, dividing the waters. And then so much of his work afterwards seems about reunion, bringing together. Just look at what Paul's saying when he when he quotes these words that's in Ephesians which one is it Ephesians chapter 5 for, so for verse 31 he, he quotes the words we, we've just recently read in Genesis for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, this is a principle that carries through. We'll just look what he's already said in Ephesians chapter 2. I'll read, read, start reading verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The two men he was talking about was <clears throat> Jew and Gentile. And then that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enemy. So, so the, whole, the whole plan, the whole purpose is about reconciliation, about unification, about bringing together. Remember how, how Jesus prayed that his disciples might be one as he and his father were one. And then... Just reiterating it, Paul's letters to the Colossians, chapter 1. Reading at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So you see how the whole purpose of God is about reconciling himself to the world, bringing everything together in a unity. And so mankind, a man and woman, it's just a little, a little picture of that principle. 
and don't come to me and sort of say, well, ha hang on, animals and plants and things were already reproducing sexually before this happened. Look, God's outside time. He doesn't follow the normal order of cause and effect that we do. And he can apply the same principle everywhere. Right. So, back to narrative. And just going back a bit. Going back to where Adam has been put in this Garden of Eden. And, as you read, it is a beautiful place, a perfect place. I'm told that the gold of the land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. And it was a it was a pretty good life but there was one command in order to live there something that Adam had to do or rather had not to do and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and so that was the command he had we don't know how long he kept it but chapter 3 of Genesis starts to look at how this all panned out And again, a story that is very familiar. The woman is tempted by a serpent. The serpent, his first definite statement is a lie verse 4 when the serpent said to the woman you shall not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil so it starts off with a lie but there was an element of truth up until then Adam and Eve had known nothing but good received good from God received a good life and they themselves had followed a good life there's no great pressure on it no, nothing to do anything otherwise but when they broke that command they knew what it was to sin it was the first <laughs> Just in, the, just in the process of taking that fruit, of breaking that command. They learnt evil. And the pain was that the evil they came to know, the evil they learnt, was the evil within themselves. Because take that fruit they did and they broke that command 
and with with the knowledge that knowledge of evil in themselves came guilt and shame and they felt naked and they hid in the garden but of course there were consequences and they came up against God he could not ignore what they had done and yet to pass sentence when questioned the man and the woman passed the buck the woman oh the man said the woman who you gave to me to be with me she gave me the tree and I ate and the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate the serpent wasn't questioned he was a beast no sense of morality no responsibility it had played its part in the test and now was just cursed as a symbol and as a reminder of what evil had been done and then came the sentence for the woman and the man to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying thou shalt, you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return they didn't die straight away but now that they were no longer perfect now they had evil within themselves and knew it they could not be allowed to live forever it seems a harsh sentence but such was the enormity of the height from which they had fallen and the implications of what they had done for do those sentences actually seem a little bit familiar most of our essential bodily functions are at least comfortable if not actually pleasurable not childbirth and life is a slog many pains and struggles we have to go through just to keep going and at the end of it we all die we all return to dust 
we are all children of Adam and Eve. And we all make the same mistakes. We all fail to keep up to God's standards. And we're all under the same sentence of death. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5. Through one man, this is verse 12, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Jeremy's legacy is that we are all under this curse. And the whole world is under the curse. But that's not the end of the story. Let's go back to that other, even more significant figure of Jesus. You get even, even perhaps a, a premonition of it back in Genesis chapter 3 where God speaks to the serpent that symbol of everything that had gone wrong and he says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel now yes and that's what happened in the relationship between men and snakes isn't it they bite us on the feet and we stamp on their heads which we did before we had a higher tech way to deal with it but also there's another seed of the woman the child of Mary Jesus he was bruised But it was only a bruise on the heel because although he died temporarily he lived again but by doing that he bruised the serpent on the head he killed it he put to death the, the evil that was in us and brings us death and brings us death as Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5 for if by the one man's offence Adam's death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ therefore as through one man's offence judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men 
resulting in justification of life. And perhaps he puts it more succinctly in the first book of Corinthians, chapter 15. It's there, we just read about it, he's talking about justification, of being made righteous, of Christ's, um, Christ's righteous act, being able to undo Adam's sin. And now, I'm kind of going very rapidly through this, of skipping a lot, because I know it's dealt with a lot at other times from this platform. But just to, uh, um, yes, looking at 1 Corinthians 15. So we talked about undoing the sin. And then verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So now we've not only undone the sin, Christ's resurrection has undone the sentence of death. And for those who ally themselves to Christ, through baptism the sentence of death no longer applies and so that is the part that Adam and Eve have played in God's purpose and we can see in the Bible the whole the whole plan set out plan to give men the chance to choose whether they'll go with God or whether they'll go their own way but then when they all chose to go their own way a plan to give them another chance to choose God with his help to choose God with Jesus at our side. I'll just finish if I can find it with a with some more verses from Christi, 1 Corinthians 15. says verse 42 so also in the resurrection of the dead the body is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption it is sown in dishonour it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body and so it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit.
We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.